Your church, invited to go downstairs at this time. Thank you for the young people being up here. And if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians, please. Ephesians, chapter 6. As you know, I've been going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and we have finished chapter 3. So we are halfway with uh, done with Ephesians, and what I'd like to do is just set the stage for chapters 4, 5, and 6. Because in chapters 1, 2, and 3, God has only asked us to do one thing. He has commanded us one thing in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and that is to remember. To remember something. To remember that Jesus Christ came to earth, saved us from our sin, and all the blessings we have flow out of a relationship with him. So we have been reminded for many, many, many weeks of everything that Jesus has done for us. And it is glorious. But I want you to know that the Ephesians were, were, were in the midst of a, a spiritual battle. As you recall from the book of Acts, when Paul went into Ephesus, there was a lot of worship. There was the worship of the goddess Artema, uh, Artemis. This goddess Artemis was literally, she was a fertility goddess. So, so there was all sorts of immorality that was tied to her worship. But also, she was the goddess of the underworld. All the demons and the darkness, those evil spirits, best known for their magic. They were known for magic spells, magic curses, potions, things like that. So when Paul went into Ephesus and he preached the gospel, they were freed from all of this demon, evil spirit, witchcraft, magic stuff. So much so that in Acts chapter 19, that the believers in Jesus took their magic books, heaped them in the marketplace. Imagine going downtown Ephesus, making a huge stack of magic books and lighting them on fire. What It created just an uproar because these people were saying, we're no longer playing with the powers and darkness of, of the devil, but we're now our allegiance and our service is to Jesus Christ alone. It is really a great thing. So no wonder why when you read the book of Ephesians, you, you see things about battle and spiritual power all over the place. Look at this. Look with me at um, Ephesians 6, verse 12. It's up here on the screen. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Listen, Paul says that we're in a wrestling match. It is a battle. But for the Greeks and Romans, Wrestling was hand-to-hand, eye-to-eye combat. And it wasn't just a matter of pinning somebody down and winning the, the, the match. It was the idea of you would pin the opponent down, you would gouge out their eyes, you would literally pluck their eyes out of their body, and ultimately you would kill them. So wrestling, for Paul, when he writes this word, it's an intense word. It means physical sight or loss of sight, physical life or loss of life, Paul says, wait a minute, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, those are evil demons and spirits of the devil, against powers, that's all the rankings of demonic forces that the angels are, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Hey, this is the battle that we're in. If anything, this morning, as we begin our study next week of chapters 4, 5, and 6, we're going to talk about the home. We're going to have to talk about the church. We're going to talk about the workplace. We're going to talk about parenting. Do you want to know why? All of those areas, they're areas of battleground. 
There's a spiritual battle being waged in our homes, in our hearts, in our church, in our community, in our country. And and Satan is trying to grasp and grab our minds and our hearts. So if we're aware of the spiritual battle, it's going to be a glorious thing for the church. Do you agree? Let's pray and ask God to work in our lives. Father, thank you for this text of Scripture. Just to, to open our eyes to the next weeks and months of study, as we begin to look at the church and our own lives, we begin to look at the home and parents, moms and dads, husbands and wives. We think about single people. We think about our workplaces. We think about all of these areas that now you're going to teach us in the book of Ephesians. And we have, have to have our eyes open to the fact that this is a spiritual battleground. And every day we wake up, we need to be ready for combat. We need to have the full armor of God. We need to be able to stand fast with allegiance to Jesus Christ. We need to deny ourselves and live for Christ. It is a glorious, fantastic truth. And so, Father, open our eyes to the invisible realm around us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know what? One of the most tragic things that I can imagine one of the very most tragic things would be to be in the midst of battle and not even know it. You know what? To wake up, okay, imagine, if you were to be taken right now to Syria, where there's a civil war, all sorts of fighting going on, and you are oblivious to it. You have no clue what's going on. You don't know that there's even shots that will be fired at you. And then you go about your business. You go into the, get groceries, buy some milk, buy some eggs. Listen, there is so much chance that something bad is going to happen to you. Do you agree? It would, be, it would be crazy to be in the middle of a battlefield and not realize that there's enemy fire going back and forth at each other. All right. So when I lived in Israel some years ago, I lived on a kibbutz, kibbutz Ha'on. We were three miles from Jordan, about five miles from Syria, right on the base of the Golan Heights. And one day after our studies and everything, I thought, hey, I've got a few hours to spare, so I'm just going to roam the Golan Heights right there behind the Sea of Galilee up in northern Israel. And I took the time. I went and I started walking up. I climbed up these cliffs. I was roaming around. I was getting pictures of the landscapes and all sorts of things up there. And after a couple of hours, I came back down, started walking back onto the kibbutz, and one of the older men on the kibbutz found me and said, Brian, where were you? And I told him, I was just roaming on the hills up there, looking around. I was just enjoying being up in Israel. He said, you are foolish. And he just yelled at me, and he said, never go up there. I'm like, well, why? He said, there are still landmines buried in the ground. And you don't know where the landmines are. You could go up there, step on a landmine. As a matter of fact, many of the cows do as they're grazing in the fields up there and in the area. They'll actually step on a landmine, lose the limb, or even just cow carcasses laying around. You know that they stepped on the landmine. Here I am, enjoying my day, not realizing I could have easily stepped on one of those older landmines from previous wars and been blown up, lose a leg. Who knows? Then I'm thinking, wow, how foolish for me to be walking around. Can I say something? This last week, whether you believe it or even knew it or not, you were involved in spiritual warfare. There was all sorts of spiritual warfare going on for the affections of your heart, your relationship with your spouse, with how you train your children, with even coming to church. Listen, Satan is active and busy opposing everything that is God's and everything that God intends. So I want to open your eyes to this whole issue of spiritual warfare. Are you ready for battle? All right, as you know, 
there's two individuals that are battling. One is God. Let me tell you about the designer. So let me give you first one side very quickly. The designer. The, the designer is God himself. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He has all wisdom. He has all power. You agree? God has always existed. There never was a time when God was not. God, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, decided to create everything. So Christ creates everything by speaking, with no pre-existing material. Calls the, earth, the heavens into existence, the earth into existence. Can you imagine the design of this, of this earth? The trees, the sunset, the sunrise. Just absolute intricate design. Now, when I'm teaching school and I'm talking to my students about creation, I always use the example of a watch. The very fact that I have a watch that tells time and it even counts my steps, tells me how many floors I go up and down, things like that, it just screams that there's a designer. You would think I'm foolish if I were to say that this watch came about because a heavy wind went to Highway 210 Auto Parts, went through the auto part place, and just picked up a little bit of metal, a little bit of plastic, a few little springs, and it bounced together and it came out like this. You would say I'm completely foolish. God has designed this whole heavens and earth with absolute intricate design. Can I tell you some phenomenal things about the design of outer space? One million earths fit into our sun. Imagine that, one million earths. If the earth was this size of a ping pong ball, one million of these would fit inside our own little sun. And our sun is one of the smallest stars. So do you want to know what the largest star known to man right now is? It's Canis Majoris. Canis Majoris, listen to this. It is so big, it would take an airplane traveling 560 miles an hour, get this, 1,100 years to circle around Canis Majoris, the, sun, the, the star. 1,100 years of nonstop travel going 560 miles an hour just to go around that star. Can you imagine how big that star is? But when you look at it from Earth, it's just a tiny little twinkle. Is God phenomenal? Think about the speed of light. The speed of light is 5.88 trillion miles per year. So if I shoot a, a flashlight beam out the window... In one year, that beam of, of light from a flashlight will travel 5.88 trillion miles. If you were traveling the speed of light and you were to go around the earth, in one second, you could go around the earth seven and a half times. In one second, boom. You just went around the earth seven and a half times at the speed of light. I mean, our God is incredible, isn't he? He's a designer. He has a plan for this earth. He has a plan for you. He created you in his image. He created our first parents, Adam and Eve, with great ability, great intellect, and he wanted them to have a relationship with him for all eternity. That was his design. His design and plan is that we would live in these bodies, on this planet, for all eternity, with him in fellowship with him. Wow, what a designer. Talking about going from big, let's talk about small. Get this, in my hands... In my two hands together are one quarter of all my human body bones. Uh, 25% of the bones in my body are just in my hands. Each hand has thousands of nerve endings per square inch, with the most in the fingertips. Two of the biggest places in my brain are used just to operate my hands. 
Get this. My hands flex approximately 25 million times in my lifetime. 25 million times my hand will flex. And it, never get, it really doesn't get tired. I mean, God is amazing. Think about this. Thinking about our eye. Um, I just found out just a few quick little things about the eye. In my retina, which is less than a square inch, there's 137 million light-sensitive cone-shaped receptors. 137 million that um, grab light in just less than a square inch size. And then my brain can take all of those millions of nerve cells, endings, transfer them to my brain, and I come up with a picture that I can understand. I mean, God is so phenomenal. Do you guys all agree God is a phenomenal designer? All right, so that is who our God is. Now, he created something. He created an angel, an angelic realm. There were three angels in the Bible that have names, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. All right, three names, angels, but there's... Tens of thousands, if not millions of of angels. We have no idea how many, but there's a finite number of angels. But there were three named in the Bible, Lucifer, um, Michael, and Gabriel. Now, Lucifer was the one angel who, with pride in his heart, said, I'm going to rebel against God. That is where our spiritual battle began. So we're honoring veterans and those who keep us safe because there's wars and rumors of wars going on all the time. Do you want to know where the spiritual battle began? It began up in heaven when Lucifer, an angel, rebelled against God. And he's, he literally said, I will be God. I will sit on God's throne and I will try to kill God, take him off the throne, and I will rule over the universe. That was his plan. So he was able to persuade a third of the angels to join his side. That's where we get all the demonic forces, evil spirits, and magic. It comes from those one-third of angels that fell and became evil spirits or demons. But that wasn't enough for Satan. Satan knew even with a third of the angels, he could not conquer God. So he saw Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he thought, if I could only get mankind on my side... If I could trick mankind to rebel against their God, then I would have a third of the angels and all of mankind to go in resistance against God. We will un-God him, we will unthrone him, we will kill him, and we will take over. So he slipped into the garden, and he talked to Eve, and, and he is a great counterfeiter, isn't he? Satan is such a deceiver. And he said, Eve, God is withholding something from you. If you eat the fruit of this tree, which God has said not to, if you do you will become just like God. You will become just what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to become God. And Eve was deceived. She ate of the fruit. And that moment, she plunged herself into sin. When Adam ate, he plunged all of mankind into sin. That is when mankind joined the rebellion against God. And since that day, there is a spiritual battle going on for our hearts all the time. We're looking for joy. We're looking for peace. We're looking for something that will satisfy when it's only God through Jesus Christ that will satisfy, it is a battle every single day as to what, where my allegiance will lie. What side of the battle, what side of the fight am I on? All right? So let's talk about Satan. <coughs> Beware, Satan is an expert counterfeiter. 2 Corinthians 11, look up here, it says this, For Satan himself who has rebelled against God and now caused mankind to rebel, transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also, who are his ministers? The other evil spirits. 
the other one-third of fallen angels. So it is no great thing if his ministers, these other fallen angels, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. You see, Satan, he transforms himself into an angel of light. He is the most evil, wicked, depraved being, but he doesn't come across that way. He comes across as a, as a counterfeiter. Um, I don't even know where my calendar is. Is my calendar down there? Um, but I had some counterfeit things here. I guess I don't even know. It might be over here. I have like some... What makes a good counterfeit bill? See, the devil's at it right now. I can't even find my, my daily planner. There you go. A counterfeit bill is one that looks like the exact same thing. So I had in my calendar, which I can't seem to find, I had a really big bill like this. It was like a $100 bill, but it was gigantic, wrong size. I had another bill that was about the right size, but it was a different color. All right, so those are obviously not counterfeits. You want to know what makes a great counterfeit? It's got to look as much like the real as possible. And if it does, you are easily tricked into believing that something that is fake is real. And that's what Satan is. So you know what? When it comes to our relationships, to our homes, to our church, to our community, Satan is working overtime to deceive you even right now about priorities, about allegiances, about what you love, what you do, what you should do. He's working all the time to trick us in our mind. That's where the Word of God comes in. If we know the Word of God, we will not be easily deceived. That's going to be what we study coming up in chapter 4. We're not going to be tossed to and fro like the wind or the waves, but we're going to be rock solid because we know Satan cannot deceive us when we have God's Word in our heart and in our mind. So I was thinking, what are the big areas that Satan can deceive us? All right, there's two major ways that Satan can deceive us. First, about heaven and hell, and secondly, about salvation. All right, if I were to say heaven to you right now, what have you been taught as you have grown up and lived on this earth? Whether it's visuals or things you've been told, I think this is what you think heaven is. A lot of people think heaven is, what are you, what are you sitting on or walking on? A fluffy cloud, right? And what are you wearing on your feet? Sandals, right? Because everybody in heaven wears sandals. And what, do you, what color are you dressed in? White. And what do you have on your back? Wings. Wings. And what do you have above your head? A halo. And what instrument are you playing? All right. If I were to tell you heaven is that you're wearing a white gown with wings. I mean, has anybody ever tried a set of wings? I haven't. I don't know if they're going to be comfortable. But I'm thinking about And then I think of a halo above my head, and I'm thinking, that's awkward. And then sandals, my feet always get cold. And I, I just think, well, my toes, nobody wants to look at them anyways. And I've never walked on a cloud, but it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So if that's your image of heaven, does anybody want to go? Absolutely not. So you see, Satan has really convinced us that, listen, what matters most is this life on earth. Your 70, 80, 90 years on earth, this is what really matters. Nothing else matters. If there is a heaven, it's going to be something with wings on a fluffy cloud. It's not going to be anything you'll enjoy, so don't even think about going there. Right? But that is how he does it. But do you want to know what the Bible says heaven is? Heaven is a new earth, and a new heaven is physical. Heaven is more real than this pulpit. There's trees in heaven. There's rivers in heaven. There's grass and rocks and dirt. There's feasting and eating in heaven. 
There's recreation and rest in heaven, and there's work in heaven. We're going to be working. We're going to be serving. Some people are going to be taking care of animals. Some maybe will be taking care of... You know, honestly, I think whatever things we're trained in down here on earth will somehow, for some of us, be able to transfer up to heaven. People that love to write... Can you imagine the writing of books and music in heaven? Can you imagine cooking food and tasting it in heaven? And then sitting down after a day serving Jesus, and we gather around, and we eat, and we fellowship, and Jesus joins us at the table, and we're just talking about the truth of his word. Jesus is real right now. If he were to appear here, he could appear in his glorified body form, which we can touch. He has a voice we could hear. He has eyes we could look into. He has uh, uh, lips and a voice and teeth. I mean, that is our Savior is that real. But what does Satan want you to think? God is some nebulous force pulsing out in the distance. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't know you. And if there is a heaven, you certainly aren't going to enjoy it. It is so far off the truth. That is just such a lie from the devil. But you know what? He has lied to us about hell as well. What is hell like? There is a real physical hell that people who do not believe in Jesus will go to for all eternity. Do you, see, do you see that God the Father has a plan for all of us to live with him forever? But Satan has rebelled and then caused mankind to rebel against their creator. And God has said that those who do not trust Jesus Christ alone will go to a place called hell. I read to the church some months ago just a few thoughts about hell. This is what somebody wrote. Just taking Bible texts about hell. Listen to this. Try to imagine your body with the most excruciating sunburn. Add to that the awful pain of your whole frame scalded with boiling water. To this, add the agony of bodily movement. The skin stretches, untold daggers of pain flash through your body. You want to hold still, but the burning from the flames will not allow it. The bubbling brimstone makes you scream. Your hair is on fire. Your feet and hands blister while you gnaw your tongue trying to relieve the torment. You are falling in the darkness. You feel something solid. Oh, if you could only stop falling. Your body tries to cling to the solid surface. Suddenly, you're slipping again. And you fall into a bubbling lake. Lake. Somebody suddenly reaches out of the darkness and grasps you in terror. They begin to gnash on you with their teeth. All the time, you're both screaming at the top of your lungs. You shake the gnashing person off in the darkness. Breathing heavily from the concentrated exertion, you fill your lungs with smoke. While you cough and gasp, the word water escapes your lips. Your throat is on fire. Your tongue feels like a white-hot iron against the parched roof of your mouth. Your gums pulsate with agony while every nerve in your teeth stabs you with flashes of indescribable pain. And then the silence. If you could only have a moment of silence from the screams and the agony of those who are condemned. You long for a minute of relief, but it never comes. You scorch your smarting eye, you close your smarting eyes, the scorched eyelids burn your eyeballs. You just remember one drop of cool water on planet Earth. All right, that is, I believe, the reality of hell. But do you know what Satan says? Ah, don't worry about it. It's a place you're going to party and you'll be free from God once and for all and hell is just a great place. I'm going to go and have fun the rest of my... No. It's a reality. See, this is the spiritual battle going on all the time, waging on our hearts and our minds. And do you realize out of some 7 billion people on our planet, how many believe in Jesus Christ? How many believe that he is the only way to heaven? 
Very, very few. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself, when he stood on earth, he said, broad is the, is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that go. Narrow is the path to, el- to eternal life, and very few find it. That is tragic. That is why our church exists, so that we can literally raise up an army of people that will follow Jesus Christ, be his disciples, to warn the world about the deception of the devil and sin and its consequences, which would be eternal death. That's, that's the reason for the church. This isn't a social group. This isn't just a, a club. This is a, a body of believers tied to Jesus Christ by faith. And we have a mission. We have a huge mission. Secondly, you know what? Satan has tried to deceive us about salvation. When I was growing up, I always thought if I was more good than bad, almost like the scales of justice, if I was more good than bad, God would have no choice but to let me into heaven. All right, I just thought be good enough, go to church enough, pray enough, give a little bit. And God says, sorry, that is not good enough. In order to get to heaven, you have to be 100% perfect. So how many of us on planet Earth are 100% perfect? Zero. Every single one of us has lied stolen, cheated, thought impure thoughts, said an impure word, all of us are found guilty before God. So that means nobody can enjoy the pleasures and the blessings of heaven. But here's what Jesus Christ did. And here's what Satan has deceived us with. What the Bible teaches is that Jesus Christ came to earth. He is God in human flesh. And when he went to the cross, He died in our place, and he paid for our sins in his own body. That is the greatest sacrifice that anybody could give. He gave his life for ours. Here's what happened on the cross. Crucified at nine in the morning. At noon, the sun stopped shining. And God the Father and God the Son, who forever lived together in perfect harmony, they they lived forever, never a uh, unkind word, never, um, never a conflict in the Godhead. From noon until three, God the Father turned his back on God the Son, and he, God the Father had to separate from God the Son. And whatever in eternity in that bubbling lake of fire would feel like, Jesus experienced on my behalf. Wow. Talk about love. Talk about love that Jesus would go to this eternal condemnation. Whatever he would feel that would be the weight of my sin, he took on my behalf. So that I could place my faith in him and be given his perfect righteousness. That's the good news. But do you know what Satan has said? No, that's not true. If you're more good than bad, you go to heaven. If you go to church, you go to heaven. If you're a certain denomination, you go to heaven. If you get baptized, you go to heaven. That's Satan's lie. That's Satan's deceit. God says, my son did it all. You can only believe. You just can only trust him. That's it. If you add to what Jesus did, if you say, I believe in Jesus plus something else you have to do, God says, it ruins the whole deal. You cannot be saved. Your your sins will not be um, removed from your account in that sense. You will have to pay the penalty of your sins of rejecting Jesus Christ on your own. Do you see the importance of that? Satan has deceived the world. So many churches 
aren't even preaching that message anymore, that you must be born again. You must place your faith in Jesus Christ alone, apart from any works, apart from any religion. Oh, Satan is so crafty. So, quickly here. His first strategy, and you're going to run into this all this week. It says, even if our gospel, that's the good news about Jesus, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. They reject Jesus and they will not go to heaven. Listen to this. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. You know what Satan is an expert at? One of his strategies is simply to blind our mind. He blinds our eyes and our mind. So we don't believe the Bible. We don't believe the gospel of of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. And so many people are walking around not even realize if they die without Jesus, they will perish. They're simply blinded. They cannot see. But when you believe in Jesus, your eyes are opened up. And all of a sudden, this makes sense. And you begin, although you don't see the invisible battle going on around us, I know tomorrow my allegiance is to Jesus Christ. My love is for him. I'm going to love my wife and watch over the church like Jesus has called me to because of him. Do you see, do you see the battle? Our eyes are being blinded. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. His strategy? Blind our eyes. Make you unaware of the spiritual realm, heaven, hell, the gospel. He is so crafty. Look at the second strategy. The second strategy is this. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. All right. For those of you who have served in the military, wow. You know that when you're on the battlefield, when you're in the midst of the battle, you've got to be sober and you've got to be vigilant. Um, In our spiritual battle, we've got to be sober, alert, clear thinking, and we need to be uh, um, constantly aware because our adversary, our enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, Satan cannot take my salvation away from me. The moment I place my faith in Jesus Christ alone, I have it for all eternity. But the one thing he can do is he can ruin my testimony and reputation. He can cause me to go off into sin and to go astray from, his word, from God's word, and he can literally destroy my reputation and testimony and devour me like a lion would devour a little sheep. That is the importance. Of, that's why Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 God is going to train us. How do we think soberly and clear-minded about our family, our church, our workplace, our children? And we're going to be on guard and vigilant. And then Satan cannot touch us. He cannot devour us. He can't ruin our testimony. He has, he has no power over us. Wow. So be on guard. Um, the blinders come off when we believe God's word. We trust Jesus Christ. And then secondly, Satan is always walking about this week, either him or probably one of his fallen angels is going to do whatever he can to destroy this church. He's going to try to tear moms and dads apart from the children, husbands apart from wives. He's going to try to create conflict in the workplace. And some people follow that deceit. Others turn to God's word and and, uh, the gospel. Amazing, isn't it? That goes on until Jesus comes back or we go to heaven. Once we go to heaven, the battle is over. 
Do you know who wins? God wins. Because Jesus Christ died for our sins. He took the power out of the devil. He took the power out of sin. And he took the power out of death. I have no fear when I die. None at all. I know the moment I die, I'm going to be more alive than ever in front of Jesus Christ. And though this body go in the grave, my wife knows there's no worries. I am fully alive, enjoying everything in heaven. God is one. It's all through Jesus Christ. So it's all about him. So now prepare yourself for Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. As we see and we think about God's purpose and plan and design for us, how Satan is going to deceive us. Remember Ephesians 6. We're not wrestling and fighting against flesh and blood. I think about the conflict in our country between um, liberals and conservatives. Between, you just name all the division going on, um, even amongst races. That is part of Satan's deceit. He just loves division. Christ. He's, he's the answer. Jesus Christ. Today and forever. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if there's anybody here today, boy, I just pray that you would trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you would be alert, aware. Satan right now is seeking to blind the eyes of people all over this planet. They they would not believe in Jesus, that they would not believe he is the only way of salvation. They would try to add something to the cross, or maybe they wouldn't think of it at all. He will try to confuse them about what is heaven like, what is hell like. He will do whatever he can to blind and deaden the hearts and minds of men and women, boys and girls, all across our land. But Jesus, he is real, his word is true. He gives us the answer to... Freedom from sin. He is our great God. So maybe today you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe today as a believer, you need to make sure your allegiance and your loyalty is to Jesus Christ alone. You don't have a love for the world. You're not attracted to the world. You're not distracted by the world. But in your home and at work and at school, you're living for Jesus each and every day. I'll tell you what, when we do that, We rob Satan of any ability to exert more power and influence in this world. We have a great God and a great Savior. Trust him and love him. Father, thank you so much for just this text in Ephesians and how we've been studying for months now about the spiritual warfare going on. I pray everybody in this room will be on the right side, that they will have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They would no longer be rebelling against you, but they will be now your children, sons and daughters. So thank you, Father, for each and every person here. It is not an accident that everybody is here this morning that you want. This is the kind of work you do, Father. You rescue people from their sin. And you set them free. Your word is awesome. It is truth. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we give him praise. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.